0: And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here.
1: Hey, you know what? It's a new month. Is it? Yeah, it is. And I'm thinking to myself that we should probably have something like a month called Support Our Supporters.
0: Support Our Supporters.
1: Support Our Supporters. We've got some people who support our show. Yeah. And I want to show them some love. Okay. Yeah. So we've got someone who is regularly supporting our show, who's the industry buffered himself, mm-hmm. Jason Furman, mm-hmm. from... Ainswick Irons- Dog Quip. Ainswick Dog Quip. Ainswick. Yeah. I know you're a fan of Jason's equipment.
0: You know what? Sometimes I get these ideas in my head. Mm-hmm. Let's go I'm with like it. Jason, go with it. I've got this idea for a tug and I want it to be this big and this round and made of leather. Yep. You got one? He goes, no, that doesn't exist, you idiot, but I can get it made. I go,
1: do it, sir. He's pretty good like that, the old Buffett, isn't he? Yeah. We should get Teespring. The buffet. The Teespring <laughs> merch made up. <laughs> Support the buff head. Support the buff. Yeah. But we've got people in other parts of the world that are Yeah, you know insurance. who's not a buff head? Tell me. Machlepointe. Machlepointe is yeah. French for Mark. For not a buff head. Yeah, for not a buff head. And he is from. Canon Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. In Canada. Yep. Please don't slow this one down. <laughs> so if I were in North America, that's where I'd be getting my, yeah. my working dog equipment from. He's got a great array of gear as well. It does. Yeah. Yep. And he's a very generous guy. Yeah. Mm.
0: You know who else is a supporter of the show? That would have to be Kindred Canine. Mm. Mel Benware. Our good friend, Mel Benware. She has got to be one of the best travel to your home, train the dog in your home dog trainers. Absolutely. In the area that she's in, which Richmond, is- Richmond,
1: Virginia. Or Ashland, Virginia. She <laughs> yeah. comes from Ashland, Virginia, but she services all the area around there. She's been a great support for the show and also a great support for the International Association of Canine Professionals. That's right. Who we are proud members of as well. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So if you're in Australia, you need dog equipment. hmm Jason Furman. Ainswick, Ainswick dog equipment. dog equipment. Equip. Yep. If you're in North America, you yep. need working dog equipment. Mark Point. <laughs> <laughs> Canine Dynamics. <laughs> And if you're in Ashland, Virginia Or Richmond, Virginia Yep, in that general area Yep, and you need pet dog training Melanie Benway Melanie
1: Benway Kindred canine Kindred canine Yep That's it
0: Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Len Cook. Officially for the last one of the year. Yeah, this mm, is it. It is. The last one. Yeah. Thank God for that.
1: Not thank God to be not doing another podcast again, but thank God to the see year the year end of 2020. On. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Like, not long we'll be into a new year, and this time last year- Around this time last year, I mean, none of us had any idea that this shit fest was going to unfold around us. No, no idea. Like, it really has transformed almost everyone I know. It has
0: transformed them in some way. It's been very transformative. Yeah, it's been a weird year. And I don't know that, like just ticking over to January 1st is really going to change anything. No. <laughs> you know well, I mean? apparently Christmas made COVID okay again. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. It was funny, you know, like the lead up to Christmas was like, oh, everything's great. And then all of a sudden we got fucking hit with a bubble in northern beaches yep. in Sydney and that sort of put a shit Shut chest. us back down. Yeah, Put shut us back down and created a bit of havoc. It certainly affected our business because, again, we're tourism and we were almost completely booked out. And then all of a sudden, neck minute, boom, mm. it had a very – sinister effect on some of our resorts and
0: some of them are doing okay. I suppose, yeah, I think we should probably confront the elephant in the room. Mm. Everybody's sick of hearing about the Rona, but it's, you know, fuck, we're doing a year's wrap up. That's been the biggest thing of the year. And it's been interesting to see who has evolved and how. I think, you know, when it first hit and was big news, Mm. I remember being, you know, because I was in Florida right at the end of January And uh, Chicago the following weekend, first weekend in Feb. Yep. And that was when it was kind of, you were hearing about this weird virus, right? Were we in the States at the same time then? Yeah. Because I think you were in Chicago and I was in Virginia. Mm Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm Yeah. And I remember while I was in Florida, I went out to dinner with Ivan and he asked me, you know, because he's like, you travel a lot. How do you feel about it? And I was like, care like I don't don't even think it's real yeah (laughs) was like I was like it's totally fine and he had just I think he had just like cancelled something because he was worried about traveling and I was like oh no 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 I've got this whole year booked out I'm killing it in all these many ways absolutely not that little virus isn't gonna stop me I'm not even sure it's real wrong yeah wrong yeah Man, it was crazy. Like,
1: I just think back on how many opportunities were just sort of like flatlined over it. But as you said before, like some people really evolved over it. Some people really just embraced it and thought, okay, well, it's changed and I have to change with it. And I think- That was probably one of the highlights of the whole Rona year was seeing how people in a crisis, how people react to things. Yeah. You know, like some people sit around and and wonder what happened and other people start making things happen. Mm. You know, I know that's like a corny little old business saying, but it really is a reality because I was watching people literally transform who they were and what they were doing and what their business landscape was Mm. because they thought to themselves, well- there is nothing else that I can do about this. It's outside the process of what I can control. So I'll control what I can. Mm. That's a very good quote from Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is only concentrate and focus on what you can control, you know, or what you can influence. Don't look outside that because you're just wasting time. Yeah. And I remember reading that a long time ago. A friend of mine suggested it to me. And I had to reflect and think on that several times when this whole incident was happened because our business is tourism related, which I've already said, and I'm sitting here thinking, fuck, this is going to be terrible. Mm. This is going to put us in a really bad situation. And, you know, it was scary for me. It was scary for the owners of the company. It was scary for all the staff that we employ because we, depending on what time of year it is, we employed mostly a lot of young ladies and we'd put new managers on and all sorts of things. And I was thinking this is going to hurt. It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt everybody. And I just don't know what to do. I think throughout the year I've spoken about this sort of situation, but when you've got so many people depending on you and you're sort of like the captain of the ship right then and there, I felt like I was the captain of the Titanic, Mm. you know, like people are asking me questions. What do we do? What do we do? And I said, I don't know. I actually, I don't know. So like everybody else on the planet that I know of, it was our first time dealing with a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, did you learn to deal with a pandemic before that? Nah, no. I mean, never in my lifetime did I ever think, I mean, I thought, you know, there will be viral outbursts and so forth, but never in my lifetime did I think such a rapid spreading international or
0: global pandemic would ever have this type of crippling effect in my time. You know what was uh, like a confronting day was the the day I drove out here. Mm. Do you remember when we we're going to do a podcast or whatever and I drove out and you called me literally as I was driving in and we had a conversation over the phone looking at each other from three metres away with me in the car and you there because your receptionist had called in sick and she had a headache. That's right. It didn't even turn out to have it. Yeah. But was like, well, now we have to isolate everybody here. Well, has she to- thought she had it. Yeah. Yeah, she- But it didn't even turn out to be that. But we, like, that was it. Like, we had that conversation. I remember looking at you, like, three metres apart yep. but talking on the phone through my, like, glass and, you know, calling you dude. We dirty. just had to do the turnaround <laughs> sign. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's it. We're going home. Yep. And I was like, oh shit, this is full on now. Like these are people I know that are really affected. Mm-hmm. And that was really early days. Yeah. But, you know, like I've got a friend who he's kind of an entrepreneur, like he doesn't really have a job. He's got like 6,000 jobs. He's got a million things on the go and he sort of gets things going and then puts other people in charge to run them. And then he's off to the next thing. Yep. And he's made a shit ton of money this year, right? Like from various things that like being ahead of the, the curve and noticing what's going to go ahead with this COVID shit and like adapting before people get the chance, right? So he did a cleaning business and yep. all kinds of stuff. And he told me It's been interesting to see who in the dog industry has sort of come into that template because he said to me, he goes, oh, mate, I don't have a crystal ball because I was like, how did you know this was going to go down? Like, what's going on here? And he goes, I don't have a crystal ball, but I got balls of steel. Mm. And he goes, like, I just, I thought this is what was going to happen. I've invested in setting up ready for it. And then when it did, like, I'm the cleaning guy. I'm here. I am ready to rock. Right. And so, it's been interesting to see who's adapted in that way. Mm. And I was really concerned at the start because the the overwhelming majority of my clients are dog trainers, Mm -hmm. right? And when I saw this place empty with hardly any dogs in the kennel and you see the sort of like the impact to the industry being huge, I was worried. I was like, oh, all my clients are going to go broke, right? Like, So, like how am I going to be able to get back to work even when I can because all my clients are not going to have money to employ me, Mm. But actually, the opposite has happened. Everyone bought puppies. Yeah. yeah. So, like, actual, because, you know, overwhelmingly, my clients are pet dog trainers that are looking to sort of upskill a little bit. Mm. They've never been busier in their life. And even I was taking on a lot of pet dog work again and was – there's actual hands-on pet in-home behavior modification, Mm. puppy training, that kind of stuff. There's never been more work available than right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting how our industry in some ways has taken a huge hit. Mm. Boarding, that kind of stuff has really taken a hit and travel restrictions has restricted the, the types of events that we have. Yep. But actual dog training as a whole has probably never been busier. Well, the one thing that really transformed us was doggy daycare. Yeah, right. That was the saving
1: grace during COVID. Mm-hmm. Like the boarding wasn't because people just weren't moving around. You know, they were too busy stocking up on toilet paper. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but with people going on holidays, that really dried up. But what people were doing was I was sitting at home getting the shits up with their dog, just driving them crazy all day. Yeah. Or they were being responsible and good owners and thinking to themselves, "Look, I'm not doing much." I'm living a pretty sedentary sort of lifestyle. Why don't I get my dog out to mm. some professionals who can actually give my dog a full day of running around and daycare activities, which is what they were doing? So that changed our landscape. That brought dogs back into the business. That transformed the whole business. The kennels really started to flourish under that again. Yeah. And it- then people started to feel comfortable and moving around their own state, which was good. So. It's been a slow year, but it's also been a good year because we've got a lot of projects done as well. Maria started to really invest into the company and do a lot of things that need to be fixed up. Like she just went around with me and we looked at things and thought, look, this has got to be fixed. You know, we've been putting this off. It's a good time to do it. Mm -hmm. The place could do with it. And plus I think it would give some much needed morale boosting to the staff and to the clients as well when they start saying, you know, look, you're putting some money back in, which was great
0: and they did it. So I'm happy about that anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see, you know, however this plays out and when it ends at some point, Mm. the transitions to online that a lot of people have made, how long that will last, right? So, like, take me, for example, I had already, I was already doing Skype, Zoom sessions. Yep. But not much. Like, I was doing, I had a, a day and a half allocated to that a week and that was it and You know, I didn't really push it and it was just something I had available because Mm. the only reason I set it up was because people who I had been to seminars and stuff overseas or listened to the podcast and wanted more information had asked for that to be available. And now I've transitioned to that, you know, way more heavily because that's sort of all I could do for a while. And it's been pretty effective. Like I think actually, you know, I – especially in my space, I can be quite effective doing that. And Mm. I think that even with a lot of the pet dog training stuff, there is quite a lot you can do in the online space. Like without there, of course there's a hands-on component that's absolutely necessary. Right. Mm. But, there's a lot that you can do. And I'm really curious to see how that will affect us all going forward, whether people will stick with that or whether they'll just be like, nah, ditch all this shit and let's get back to, you know, I'll be in your home. I'll be talking to you or you'll come to me or whatever it is. Yep.
1: So here's an observation that I've had. I had a little epiphany over this because it actually came with a client that I don't take many clients on. I just don't have the time for it. You know, my full-time gig is running all these resorts and we're getting more and more all the time. And as you know, my time is, Being chewed up by this company, Mm -hmm. which is good, you know, this is my job, you know, this will see me out. But the thing is occasionally when I like to put my hand in it, I like to take on a few select clients. So one of the clients that I had before COVID that I was helping them with their dog, you know, we shifted periodically to online. So I don't see them much, but, you know, we do periodic sessions together. And one of the things I did notice was that because I wasn't interfering so much and stepping in, They've actually made better progress with the dog, yeah. Right. which I kind of, I was smiling to myself thinking about it. I thought that's interesting. I wonder how many other people are seeing that, that because they're not there to say, why don't I do it? Or why don't I step in? Or why don't I take the dog for a second? Because they're actually coaching the clients. You know, it kind of reminded me of an old business saying that was told to me many, many years ago, which was to the people I asked for help and you said, no, I thank you. It's because of you. I learned to do it myself. mm And I kind of see that, well, I saw that in this dog session. Like I kind of looked at the client and I said, that's interesting that you've progressed so well, so quickly all of a sudden. And they said, oh, do you think? And I said, yes, I do. I'm like, I'm watching you with the dog. And, you know, like I got them to take some video and just do 10 minute videos so I could watch progress, what they were doing. And I'm thinking you really stepped up the progress, but because they're doing it themselves so much more without me feeling like I've got the need to get in there and steer and then get them to steer and then me steer and then they steer. They're doing all the steering. I'm just doing the suggesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, have other people seen that progression as well or are they
0: just not interfering as much Yeah, regardless? That's an interesting topic in itself mm. in that, that's one of the things that I have really struggled with pre-online stuff, pre-COVID and all that is identifying how much you should do with the yeah. dog versus how much the client should do with the dog. Now, if you do board and trains and whatever, like you're doing 100% of it and you just do a handback lesson. Yep, that's right. But if you're doing in-home behavior mod, especially, you know, like the basic pet dog stuff like loose leash walk and yep. just sort of structure in the home and teach the dogs to sit and blah, 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 the normal stuff, right? It's always been a real challenge for me to try and pick – where do I stop doing this and where do I give the reins back to the people so that they can start? And Mm. sometimes I find myself kind of, you know, not to blow my own horn, but obviously I'm better than that random pet dog owner that's employing me. You have to be. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, why would they come to you? But so- Sometimes I find myself kind of downskilling what I do with the dog mm. because you don't want to appear like the type of training is unobtainable yep. because sometimes if you just take the dog and, the you know, within a few minutes you've played with the dog and you've got it like really engaged mm. and really wanting to work for you if that's too stark a contrast between what they have been doing and what you do right there in front of them it immediately removes the dog as the problem and everybody always thinks the dog is the problem right yep. that's when they're calling us out oh, he doesn't do this he doesn't do that and it immediately says well it's not him it's it's you and then that can be quite demotivating to the to the owner handler of the dog mm. Now, but there is some things that I think are better taught by the trainer and then practiced by the owner. Take, for example, if I'm going to put a dog in a prong collar, right? I prefer to be the person that puts that on for the first time. And I prefer to handle the dog through his first few experiences with the prong and provide that, you know, whether I'm going to use it as a negative reinforcement tool or a punishment tool, whatever it is, I prefer to be the person that does that, not to ultimately you know teach the behavior or fix the problem that we're trying to fix but to teach the dog the rules of this tool, yep. right? And be like, hey, this is how the tool works. If I if I nag you left and you move left, it'll stop, you know, and then you, I'll, I'll pay you when you're there. And mm-hmm. So just sort of teach the dog how it works and have the people teach watch that as well and then now the dog knows how to use it, I'll teach you how to use it on the dog yep. and now you can actually fix the problem or teach the behavior. And that for me has always been quite a good balancing act. I'm sort of into yeah, that. I agree. But then there's the line of like, okay, how far do I go, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine it is that they've got a dog that, you know, pulls them like a freight train and within a few minutes as a trainer we can usually fix that Mm -hmm. right but how like you know how far do we go into this before we then decide like oh nah like i've demotivated you because i've shown you that this is actually your fault and (laughs) you can't do it versus showing you that it can be done yeah and that now it's your turn to step up your skills and get to that and by being online you've completely removed the capability of that right so it's it's an interesting um you know, how's that going to evolve in the future and what successes people have seen in that would be an interesting conversation for sure.
1: It's certainly something to ponder on because I guess when you're not sort of outside looking in, you don't really look at it because you're inside looking out, mm-hmm. which is the difficulty of the process. But when you do get a little bit of time to contemplate back on it, you think to yourself, that's an interesting observation. And I guess that's part of evolving in whatever you're doing is learning to look from the outside back in sometimes. Um One of the things that I guess, you know, listening to you talking about your experiences with that as well, is one of the things that I've found in the past and certainly still to this date is, and I've coined the phrase, millimetres, centimetres, metres. We've talked about this before. Mm. But one of the things that I find is a lot of people just work with the wrong type of increments with whatever they're doing. And that's the benefit of having a trainer in the room right there with you then. I mean, look, I've talked about it over Skype sessions. I've talked about it in NDTF groups before, but I find it much easier- and you use the example of the prong collar before, I find it much easier if I'm there and you can be a guiding hand, Yeah. you know, and you can be a sage at the time as well. Like you can step in and say, okay, you are working in increments that are way too large at the moment. Let me show you what it looks like when we shave this down. So I'll do and then you do and then I'll do again and then you do again. Mm -hmm. You know, and we kind of have a swapping in process. And I find that that complements nicely when you can work together with a client geez, it's worked for me so many times even when I've done BJJ before where I think I'm doing the right thing and, you know, one of my coaches, Stefan, I'll call him over and say, Steph, can you show me am I doing it right? And he says, almost, let me show you how to make this better, yeah. you know, and then he'll show me how to move my arm and i go, oh, of course. And, you know, like where if, the, if he tried to explain that to me online – maybe I wouldn't know it because like he'll turn my hand for me or he'll show me, you know, like where to grab the guy on the neck or something like that. Just something small that makes all the difference in how to actually do it. And that same, again, using that phrase nuances, those little nuances in dog training, I find are very helpful when you're right there at the time. I was speaking to Mark Oppenheimer the other day and he asked me a question about, you know, what are you finding is a something that, a lot of students that you're working with are having problems with. And I said, straight up lead handling. Mm -hmm. You know, first thing I notice is when they're handling leads. Like people – No one really shows people how to handle leads properly. You know, like everybody who's now getting into clicker training and everything like that, they never talk about the lead aspect anymore. Mm -hmm. It's always about the dog off lead. Yeah, that's a good point. But it's not something that's practical when you're off walking with your dog. So I watch people handling the dogs. I watch them. They just do obscure things which make the job difficult for them. And it's not comfortable for them or it's not comfortable for the dog. So with the NDTF, they've got this style. With certain types of obedience, they've got their style. But when you're just walking the street with your dog, sometimes people really don't pay attention to how they're holding the lead. Like a lot of times people have got the lead bunched up in their left hand by their side and they're often... Jagging it, like I'm showing you what I'm doing. I know people can't see this, but they're jagging it down by the hip and they don't Glenn realize. Is making a jagging by the hip a motion. A jagging by the hip <laughs> motion, yes. So they don't realize that they're doing something this, which is already arbitrary to what they're trying to achieve, you yeah. know, like it's not giving them satisfaction. So even something small like that can really set you off on the wrong trajectory of having a relationship with your dog. Mm. So, yeah, I agree. You know, like we do a lot of stuff in the privacy or a home or a safe location where we've got the dog off leash. I mean, I've got a whole property where I can take the dog into all these different pockets and I can do all these wonderful things. But when I leave my property and my dog is motivated to look all over the place at everything else, I've got to have my dog on a lead and I've got to be responsible in the community anyway. So – Just those little things can have a big impact on the relationship with the dog or even the management of
0: their dog. You see that leash conflict everywhere, you know, Especially if you watch, say, footage or go to a trial of someone mm. doing a BH or a PSA 1, you know, like there's the on leash portion and then there's straight to the off leash portion. And dogs actually usually perform better in the off leash portion, which is odd, right? It doesn't kind of fit the model. Yeah, a that's lot of right. people would look at that and go, there's no connection. Like you can't impose anything, you can't do anything. You go, yeah, you just took away that, like, that conflict, right? Yep. Because the leash handling has, you can see immediately, oh, okay, like you're not good with the leash or the way that the, t- the tools that, Get attached to the leash, have been mm. used. Now the dog's posture changes, the healing position changes. You would expect it to be better with the leash on, but often it's the other way around. It's funny because us as professionals, we often look
1: at people in comps when they put the lead on, you just cringe straight away. Like you're thinking, if only you could see from the outside in what you're actually doing right now. Like, mm. as you said, you know, the conflict you've already created by the mismanagement of everything that's going on, but even the trial nerves and everything that's happening at the time, like they'll clinch the lead or do something crazy. And you mm. think to yourself, that set
0: you off on the wrong path. Yeah. Mm. But so, you know, to your point on the leash handling, I think he like- yeah, we've worked around to the idea that online is good, but hands-on is also good, right? Like you got to have the both. Each has merit. Yeah. I and- think the one thing with, with
1: online is that it's probably helped people pay a little bit more attention to each other, like learning to listen and dedicate the time a little bit more openly. Because sometimes when – I guess another point that I'd like to bring up about that is sometimes when I'm in the room with people and there's a dog there and there's other family members around there, like – people are distracted with what's going on, you know, like the kids are there and phones are ringing and stuff like that. Whereas usually when they're in front of a computer and they've got headphones on, they shut the world out. Yeah. So you've got complete dedication and attention to detail. So you can get your, you can convey things much easier. I feel, I don't know, even in business meetings that I've had with people, I feel that, my attention to detail is much higher because I'm not looking around the room. There's aren't, aren't other people in the room distracting me. Whereas if I'm in a group of people, like even when I'm with the girls and there's like eight of us in a room, all the managers, and we're all sitting down at a table together, somebody might be whispering to somebody and I'm looking at them, you know, like giving them the death stare for talking during the meeting and so forth. But when you're on a Zoom call, different. It's mm-hmm. a different story. People are paying attention. People are punctual too. They're punctual, yes. They're at yes. their own home. It's like, you know, Rarely are people late for Well, you don't have to travel, there's no traffic, yeah, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of pros to it. And it's nice to see again, you know, to add another positive to it, it's nice to see that there's a lot of companies who really did up the ante for it. Like I think it projected us forward with technology, Mm. you know, the video quality is better, the audio quality is better, the software quality was better. Like a lot of people got in and started developing and they're thinking, well, this is a way of life for us now. You know, like travel is going to be restricted. People aren't going to be moving around. People are going to be a little bit more germ phobic about things. Let's put some R&D into this and transform it into a better landscape where people can communicate with each other across the world. Yeah.
0: I think, you know, to sort of close that out, one Mm. of the things – being in person and being able to put your hands on the dog is so necessary when communication is not working, like yes. where you don't have the right language skills for the person. Or maybe, you know, there's some sort of breakdown in the way that you use a word over their understanding of the word. I might say like use, you know, a slight amount of pressure and then bang, they hit the dog Like yep. by, their, so by their interpretation that is slight. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. This is what I mean by a slight amount and I can take Mm -hmm. the leash and I can show you and then it's like guide him with guide him with this food and they're like holding it and you know, like there's little stuff like that where it's much quicker to just go like like this, here I'll show you Mm -hmm. than having to explain when you know, like a a really complex explanation of say how you would hold food in your hand to use it as a lure. Right. That could take you 10 minutes to really explain to someone and them still not quite understand it, but I can just show you straight away. Like here it is. Boom. And now look how the dog, you know, and you can do it in front of them and go, Oh, okay, sweet. But I think that's the biggest one. Like I said in the start is that, Being able to just get the dog started for people. You don't have to show like Mm. the end result, but just getting the dog started so that it's not rep one for the dog when somebody who, when it is rep one for them is actually getting their hands on the dog. Well, I think also it helps give hope to people who feel hopeless
1: You know, when they can see that their dog is capable. Yeah. And that's a nice thing that when you can be transformative right there in their living room with them and their dog and they go, oh, he can do it. Yeah. You know, and again, not to make them feel like, oh, it's me, isn't it? You know, we've done a whole episode on that. Yeah. But sometimes maybe that's a good thing and a bad thing sometimes because I, I think- Well, there's a sweet spot. Yeah. It's bittersweet. So I think that when people kind of realize, okay, well, if it is me- then, you know, you've just shown me that there is hope. So I can still learn something. I can engage differently or do what I need to do. And again, you know, that's the difference between millimetres and metres. And that's amazing how many people come into it with that sort of attitude. Like they're just too full on too soon, and but they don't realise it. So they're basically like a velvet sledgehammer wailing their way through the situation. You come in and say, no, no, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be the surgeon's scalpel here rather than using your velvet sledgehammer.
0: Yeah. What's another good thing you think came of this year? I'd have to think on that one for a little bit. What about you? I think it's been cool how a lot of people who were avoiding producing online courses and that kind of stuff who have really interesting stuff to say and that, you know, we don't always get access to have kind of been forced to. And so now there's just, there's so much information out there. Mm. At the moment there's like, and and we've spoken about it before. I think that's a double-edged weapon, how a lot of people can take in too much and not really understand any of it. You know, there's a lot of people who are professional seminar goers that just go to all the seminars and don't take in any information. And those same people are probably professional online course doers, right? They just buy it all and watch it, but don't actually sort of, you know, process it. But overwhelmingly, I feel like a lot of people have put out some really good content Mm. and we all around the world have access to that. And I feel like it kind of happened through necessity, but it's turning out to be cool because now we've got a lot of the theory components and it's like, okay, when we can, we'll do the practical part. Yep. And for us in the industry, like I said, that's problematic with pet dog people because there's a very difficult place to start. Like if you're a trainer trying to train someone who has no grounding Mm. to deal with their dog, that would be really hard. But for the very top end trainers who have put out content for the rest of us to check out that know where that's at, it's fantastic because mm. we can really upskill from what they've got. So I think that's been a positive for 2020. I feel like a lot of people who otherwise would not have done that have, mm. and that'll be out there now forever, right? So like yeah, people will be able to get that in the future. Yeah, it's something for the history books for sure.
1: One thing that I've been really impressed with, as you mentioned that, is Narelle started doing it, which I – think that had she have not been in this situation, she may not have. Yeah. Um, well, she may have just been Pressure happy. pushes growth. Well, wow, yeah, that's right. The pressure does push growth. And like she's got a whole content that she's been putting out on label reading for dog food and so forth. Right, right. Um, but yeah, she's been sitting in her office recording herself and doing things and it's just so not her to do that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But she kind of come out and she's going, oh, I really enjoyed this. And, you know, there'll be days where she's frustrated by trying to work around the technology. But there's other days where she'll come in and say, oh, I really enjoyed this. I've learned how to do this on my website or I've learned how to do this and I've learned how to do that. And I'm, I'm really proud of her that it's pushed her into a different category of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing what she can do. She showing me little snippets of it. And this is what I've told her before. I said, you've got a magnificent voice and, you know, you've got something to say and people need to hear it. You know, I think people will be very impressed with the content you're going to put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think personally has been the worst part of 2020? Not travelling.
0: Yeah? Yeah.
1: That's been the worst part for sure because I miss having the opportunities to go and see people that I want to see. Mm -hmm. The restrictions to freedom, that's definitely been the hardest part about it is knowing that you basically – it's not like I'm an an enormous traveller. I like some travel. I don't like too much travel. But knowing that I can't do any of it sometimes made me feel like a fish in a fishbowl. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about you? Just watching my dog get a year older without trialing. Yeah. That's been a real – that's what's been really sort of weighing on me because – you know, without being able to bring a judge into Australia, and there's no end to that in sight. So I'm kind of staring down the barrel of I'm not going to be able to achieve the things I wanted to achieve with Remy mm. because he'll age out. Like he's realistically, with the amount of injuries that he has and the way he lives, I reckon he's got another two years of real work in him before it would be sort of ethically probably not – he'll do it. He'll do it forever, right? Mm. But before I'd have to start saying like, hey, man, you are – you're just hurting yourself even more. You're for the work that you're doing and training, that would, you know, it's gonna cause you so much pain during the rest of the time. So yeah, it's kind of a frustrates well, it's very, very frustrating to see him just get a year older without getting mailed to trial. And it's not like he's dead. Like I'm enjoying him every day and we're training every day and mm. we we are together every day and we'll be for a long time. But it it really has set back my goals of what I wanted to achieve with him. And everything else is kind of like, oh, well, you know, like, you know, not traveling and not like the business and financial goals that I might have had for myself. You can sort of say, okay, well, those are on hold. They've not stopped. And I'll still be able to do that in the future. But he's getting older every day, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that I can't stop that. And so, like, I'm kind of dealing with the reality of, I, yeah, the goal was always for him to get a PSA 3, and I thought that was probably achievable between, you know, his capability and my skill set as a trainer. I think we're a pretty good team. And, you know, given, the, given enough opportunities to trial, I think that that was in our stars. We mm. could have done that. But looking down the barrel now of missing another year and probably next year as well, you know, we've got to get another leg of the two. Imagine we did that first go nobody's ever gotten their three in two guys, right? So, you know, at two trials a year, I'd say that that has probably, that goal has probably disappeared over the horizon for him and I.
1: When I did, even pre-COVID, I did some basic math and just worked out by the time I got into PSA with Randy and how old he already was, like, I think he was four when I first started. And I basically looked at his timeline and I thought, i literally got a to- not fail any contest that he goes in to be able to successfully do this Mm. before he ages out. And the reality of that is, you know. It's impossible in PSA. It's impossible in PSA. So I kind of figured to myself, well, the best I could possibly do with Randy is probably get a PSA 2 on him and that's it. You know, like I don't think I could ever get him into the threes before he gets to that. I mean, he's seven now. Yeah. I mean, he's very active and he's very sprightly, but he's not the dog he used to be three or four years ago. Yeah. He's not as fluidic. He's already got a tooth that's, I think at some stage is going to be, have to be extracted because he's cracked it and stuff like that. So the vet's keeping an eye on things like that. But I enjoyed my time in it. I've certainly had some frustrations with PSA as most people do in any type of dog sports. I've had them with Schutzen when I was involved in that as well. Literally I got into Schutzen. When I got into Schutzen, I started trialing like six months after they introduced the Domestic Feral and Nuisance Animal Act and it was just like a shit show. So everything sort of went pear-shaped over that time and, you know, it's just a frustrating time when you get in involved in sports and so forth. But at the same time, I'm happy with what we achieved in a short amount of time. I had a good fun in it, but the math just was never going to be in line for him and I to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, and it's not to say I'm like, I'm not quitting with PSA. We're obviously going to keep going forward. But we're just looking down the barrel of- It's just the unfortunate reality that- you know, not having a judge in this country, we can't yeah. keep trialing and so we can't. The idea that at this stage, imagine – so it's impossible to get a judge here. Mm. But even if we could and they still had to do two weeks quarantine, who can do that, right? Like yeah, for who, seven grand just, yeah. for, just for staying in the hotel room. Yeah, and but who's going to give up two unpaid weeks – to come out and do two more weeks yeah to mm-hmm. do, yeah so it's just i'll be surprised if we get to trial again next year and it got if ever there was a time like if ever there was a time for the dog training or the dog sport community in australia to come together to come up with some sort of our own sport this just rattled around in my head a lot and maybe i really should start pursuing it and looking into it but you know even if it's not an official sport that we say like this is it this is how we go but more of a like a funsy game uh, exhibition match or something yep. like that right where we can at least get together and have you know some sort of you know a bit of mondio or so you can do it on a suit or you can do it on a sleeve and it's a bit like here's one of the scenarios from a psa1 and here's a scenario from mondio and you know it'd just be quite hard to come up with rules but even if it was unscored and it was just sort of a like a mock trial kind of thing that we could do Mm. just so that we can keep being involved in this stuff because the IGP guys are still trialling. They have, We have judges here, so they, they're mm. still trialling. But for the rest of us, we're kind of just like marking time. We're in limbo. Yeah. yeah. And I love and I want to continue doing it. But mm. in the meantime, it could be something for us to do. But it's just so hard to then get people together to do that. I'm working on a project at the moment that may spill into that. It may sort of become that. Well, but- people have got thing- other things like Noseworks and GRC
1: and all sorts of things. I mean, you've got judges for GRC now. So. Yeah. Yeah. There are other activities it's just difficult when you are in the bite sports and yeah. there's a limitation on what you can do
0: especially when you've sort of found your love for something that's no longer available to yeah. you. Yeah. And the tricky part is like so for all of us you know imagine say the clubs here in Sydney the all the IGP clubs the Mondio club the PSA club the dogs are different mm. so yeah, you know, just the way that the healing is scored is different so be for us to just come together and say all right for the next year we're going to play this middle ground game yeah the problem would be and this is why i haven't pursued it is it's like okay well what does the healing look like how are we going to judge that because yeah. in mondio there's no requirement for a focused heal but in psa there is and then in igp it's a completely different picture of healing right so like who's going to get the higher points because in mondio the healings a six point exercise right yep. so there's not a lot of the, the guys can heal but they haven't necessarily taught a focus deal because it's not required. It's not in the rules. So like, how would you understand that? And then, you know, in the jumps, Mondio, the jumps are 15 point exercise on a level one. And in PSA, it's like a three point exercise, right? Mm. And even if the dog just smashes the jump out of the way, you still get a point, right? So like, it's, how would we meet in the middle on that is very frustrating. And if you were to start, if we were to write a bunch of rules and go, okay, like this is it. And we all agree on it and we start new dogs, but no one wants to do that. We all have our current dogs. And so, yeah, having a game that we could all play together is, you know, it's not impossible, but it's, I imagine it would be a lot of lot of talking before there was any actual dog training and it'd just be lost. It'd be one of those efforts. Yeah, you know, there's a huge amount of effort for not a lot of gain. I've spent
1: some time thinking about that. And then I've been watching other people like Omar Van Mueller. you know, like some of the cool things he teaches these dogs. Like he's a path creator. There's no path before him, so he's just creating his own. Yeah. And then I kind of think to myself, why not just be innovative and teach your dog a bunch of cool shit that you can just show people online? Yeah. So worry rather than worrying about being scored and, and being pointed and so forth, why not just be innovative and show people – hey, check out some amazing bite stuff I've taught my dog to do and some control stuff instead of having to worry about the formalities around having to get judges out and so forth. Well, I mean, it's still fun. You can still be involved in that. But when you can't be, you can be innovative and you can show. And for me personally, I love watching innovators. That's my thing. You know, like I love watching and I've made no bones about that. I've said that many times before. Like I love watching people who do things that other people haven't even thought of yet. And then I'm thinking to myself, that is fucking phenomenal. Like, how did you do that? And how did you come up with that? And where did that generate from? And how did you get that dog to do that? Yeah. They're people that I'm, they inspire me. I mean, I'm inspired when I see great things of anything, you know, like it doesn't matter if it's repetitious or anything like that. When you're looking at the big league players doing their thing, how can you not be inspired by the professionalism, the integrity, the time spent doing it, you know, like it is fucking
0: amazing and they deserve the accolades that come to them. Yeah, I agree. I think that everybody should be doing real cool things with their dogs, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to do, absolutely. But I feel like I've always thought that competition is – Absolutely necessary because you have to be held to an ob- objective standard and so that we can measure against each other. Do you think people can't do things like that without competition though? Like, No, I absolutely don't because then you'll get people saying that they can kill you with the one-inch Bruce Lee punch. Dojo life. Yeah, because that's how that shit happens. Competition is what kicks those people out of being able to say that where you go, okay, cool, there's a trial on next weekend. Yep. Let's see how you go. And our industry more than ever, you know, we're totally unregulated. You don't need any license to be a dog trainer and you don't need any body of evidence that you actually know what you're doing. And so there's people who are really good talkers or really good showmen that are just fucking up dogs all over the place. That's a good and point. And there's also a lot of people who are trying to influence the way that we train mm. and it's absolutely critical that those people who are saying no, dogs should only be trained like this and you should never use any tools or whatever mm. that there's an objective standard that has to be met for them to be taken seriously. And you don't think there's corruption in dog sports or anything of like that? Of course there is. Because nothing's perfect but mm. we've got to have something. It's yeah. better to have an imperfect system than no system whatsoever. Well, how can I argue with that? It, I, think that I think that's a that's a fair point honestly i think it is the main function of dog sports Mm. is to say to all the people who are like no 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 you just need to give that dog a cookie and and like all this idea of like continuous like sticking with differential reinforcement forever and all that kind of stuff it's like cool let's hit the field and see how you go oh you failed okay congratulations for getting out there Mm. but i will no longer be taking advice from you on this topic right because you have been proven not to be able to pass Yeah, and then you also you know competition is the proving ground of your training so Mm -hmm. you can prove what you're saying works but also then it provides a relief for competitors to actually you know it gives them a narrow channel to be competitive in Mm. so that they can do that with their own dog and then avoid the temptation to be competitive in how quickly I can do a board and train, right? So like instead of it being like, hey, look, my business can train that dog in two weeks because Mm. of course you can, you can just crush that dog into doing those things in two weeks. That's where people will find a way to compete, right? But if you can then say to them, no, no, like there's a place you can compete and you can do whatever you want there and you can try and beat people because some people have that in them, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can try and beat people, but you got to beat them within this scope of these rules will then give them an outlet for that, right? rather than, look, my business, to like, I can train that dog in three days, you know, like, because that's where their outlet for competition will go. Mm-hmm. People need an outlet for competition or certain people need an outlet for competition, not everybody. Yeah, I don't think everybody does. Yeah, well, certain people do. I mean, there's there are real world
1: people who go out on the street and they prove it, you know, like the evidence is within itself that they've never been in a competition ring before, yet their dog works perfectly fine. You know, the dog detects, the dog bites, the dog hunts, the dog finds, it does all the requirements that it's supposed to do, yet they've never been in a
0: competition field before. Yeah, but- does the dog work would just when the circumstances are correct? Well, I think that's
1: – okay. So, I think that's a good argument for competition is to say, is the dog 100% reliable?
0: The only way you could find that out is when you're competing against other people. Yeah. And, and for me, it's just an objective standard. Then mm. it's like, here it is. Can you meet that? Because like I say, you know, and I'm positive I've used this analogy before, but it's one that I always fall back to is like, I hate swimming. Since I left the army, I have not once ever gone swimming to practice swimming, right? Yep. Like I go in the water and I'll fuck around in the water, but I'm never going to goggles on and go cut laps. Yep. I hate doing that. Mm. I absolutely hate it. But I used to have to do it because every year I had to pass a certification that involved treading water for two minutes and then swimming 400 meters in all my gear in 12 minutes. Like right? I had to be able to do that every year. And in order to be able to do that, I had to train it. So it kept me honest in that way. Otherwise, like exactly what's happened to me, I would just drop swimming from the routine. It's like, oh, fuck, I have no interest in doing that. And then there's a big weakness in my game. And so then it would be easy for me to say if I was going into – like I can just avoid triathlons. I don't do triathlons because Mm -hmm. it's got this giant swimming component. And then if I were into health and fitness, I could be like, well, I'm the fittest person ever. And they go, well – that go in this Ironman Iron man and it's like, oh nah, fuck, Iron Man's are for dickheads. I don't <laughs> like I, I don't like to compete, you know, like you show ponies out there. I'm real world fitness. So I can do all this kind of stuff anytime, right? Like yep. that's the difference. And it's like when I had to every year, if I I had to pass that test. And I tell you, when I got, when I fell out of a C-130, I had a parachute malfunction, had to swim for six hours. I was happy that I had passed that test, mm. and that I had, I had been practicing that. Right. So that's for me, I think it's the objective objective standard because you get people say like, you know, there's certain things in every sport that are really hard to teach. Yep. And so and everybody has a different skill set. Like, some things are very easy to teach, and some things are very hard to teach. And it de- like that depends on the dog and the trainer and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then, if you're if you and your dog are not attuned to a particular exercise, it's really easy to go, Oh, that's a stupid exercise, I, I, I'm not doing it, and just not do the sport. That's the easy way out. And then that that sport's stupid. It's got that stupid thing in it. Fuck them. They're idiots, Mm. right? Whereas if you want to be taken seriously, you got to say, okay, well, fuck, I have to figure out how to train this, right? Mm. Like this is something I have to figure out how to do. So that's why I'm so into competition. I think it's so important. That's a good argument.
1: Yeah, it's a good argument. To play the devil's advocate again, I think that if people are meeting their objective standards and guidelines and their dog is working fine, and they don't want to do competition. They shouldn't be judged harshly for not doing it. No, but there is no objective standard if they're not in some sort of competition. It depends on their department. Like they have a standard and a guideline of how the dog needs to operate. If the dog is meeting all yeah. those guidelines,
0: then so you know, that person is satisfied with doing what they've done. For working dogs, like real dogs that work, mm. I would say that they're in competition every day. Like I think that for yeah, for us as as trainers right we have our personal dogs and we can go into competition with them but if you're a policeman Mm. every day the dog gets out of the car you're in competition against the bad guy
1: okay and to support you further on your point there i have seen evidence to say that the dog has to be scrutinized on a regular basis to make sure that the dog is still in yeah absolutely everybody has a certification yeah so there is a certification
0: so yeah i guess it still falls under a it's competition standard. It's one of the arguments I had with army dudes, not Australian army dudes, it's somewhere else, where they were talking about, oh, we got real dogs, they're not sport dogs like you. I'm like, okay, cool. Do you have to certify every year? Yeah, we do. Okay. So, what happens in that certification? Is there like an obedience component? Yeah, yeah, there is. Okay. Is there like a, a searching component? Yeah, yeah, there is. Is there a biting component? Yeah, yeah, there is. So, do you have a score that you have to get in that in order to meet the sort certif- Yeah, yeah, there is. You're in a fucking sport. Yeah. You're just in a different sport, right? Because that sounds like every dog sport to me got a, a, a obedience portion. If you're portion. being assessed and judged <laughs> yeah. and, and right? scored. Yeah. Like you're not going to get a title and maybe you don't care about your points beyond pass or fail. Mm. Maybe it's scored in that way, which some dog sports are as well. Like a BH is a pass or fail. You don't find out your score. Yeah. Right. You're in sport. You're yep. just in a different sport, right? Yep. And so I think that objective standard where you have to go, like here's what you and your dog have to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, it is a good point. Yeah, and, and, and everybody who's taken seriously has that. Mm. And like I say, in, in the places where they don't have it, say if you work indoors, right, well, you're in competition every night because mm. your dog either <laughs> like performs its task or it or doesn't, doesn't, right? Yep. And if it doesn't, you and your dog need to look at the training mm. or potentially need your dog or whatever, right, like whatever it is. But I just feel like really strongly about that because that's what stops the charlatans uh, taking over because there's so many things that are so easy to say in our industry. There's so, it's so easy to, you know, this is how, again, we're scratching at trauma for me here because this is how I got into the industry as a positive only trainer because Mm. there's just people full of shit that just have no evidence of actually having done this stuff. Yeah. And if you don't know any better Of course you go along with that, right? Mm. Like if they're they're selling you this beautiful word salad and it's just like, oh, everything is hugs and puppies and you don't ever need to do that. Why would you do that? You Mm. can love your dog into being absolutely perfectly trained. If you have no body of evidence for that being false- then why would you go any other way, right? Well, there is plenty of snake oil out there and
1: we have talked about the theory of the Wizard of Oz before where it's just the little man with little man mirrors. pulling levers and smoke and mirrors and stuff like that. And that does exist. I found those type of people inspiring myself in the past, you know, the younger me who have seen people and I've, like, I would have believed anything they've said. But, yeah. you know, working more closely with them, you just realise you're a complete charlatan. Yeah. You're hiding behind a cloak and you've got a dog and pony trick that you're, you've just convinced people on and nobody is asking you, show me, yeah. you know,
0: provide evidence to me. They're just going along with the um, with the show. Yeah. And, you know, to be more clear, it's not like everybody needs to be in sport. Like imagine if you're preparing dogs to sell to police. Well, if you're selling dogs, you're meeting the objective standard, right? Yep. Like you are being judged you're being scrutinized, right? Yep. But like mm. there is a way to say you are good at this or you are not mm. and to be judged by your peers rather than just, you know, because this is the thing, like we can go in, like pretty much anyone can call themselves a dog trainer and do in-home behaviour stuff and tell people anything they want. There's a whole show of, I won't say her name, of a lady who does that, mm. right? She's got her own fucking TV show of just going in there and giving – the advice that a first year dog walker would give. Yep. Right. And you only need to know literally one thing more than your client to appear like you're, you're the, <laughs> you're the, you're the expert. Mm. right? So that's what I think objective standards avoids. Good point. She's what a rant. I had two goes at it. I had two bites at that rant, cherry.
1: Yeah. Well, it's,
0: <laughs> there's good information. there. something that I think it's nice for
1: people to be able to reflect on because if you, if you do have an argument against it, then you can kind of think, well, that is true. You know, like if people are in agencies and they are being scrutinized and they are being scored and there is a yearly or a six-monthly requirement, then you are in, a, in an internal competition. Yeah, absolutely you are. Yep. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you want to talk about this, is your latest trolling thing that happened on the discussion group. Do you want to pick that scab or you want to leave that one alone? Oh, we can talk about it. I just think that we should be careful, I think. I'm not going to flame anyone. It's not about trying to destroy anyone. I think what happened is it's a bit of a mark of our times and it's a shame that we have to step on eggshells around these topics when you don't intentionally go out to offend anybody and yet suddenly you find that you're the recipient of a lot of hate by people who are trying to spread this anti-hate message. Mm. And I'm reading a book at the moment, which I've recommended to a few people to read. It's called The Madness of Crowds. Mm-hmm. And it pretty much tears apart this whole paradigm of how did we come to be in this sort of situation where people who are labeling bigotry and bias and racism and so forth are some of the most aggressive people that I've ever met in my life mm. or ever witnessed their writing. Like they are so inflammatory in the way that they're handling things who made them judge jury and executioner of going after people that they're saying you don't meet my objective standards, but what have we done so wrong? Mm.
0: You know, like what, what minefield did you unknowingly Well, step we should explain into? what happened. Was yes. yeah. In, okay. in a post in the discussion group, it was asking about what traits you would look for in someone who's going to be a working or sport dog trainer. Yeah. Presuming they have no no experience mm. as having done that, which I think is an odd question, but relevant. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I just said that the same thing that I always say of anybody that's going to work in dogs in working in sport dog type stuff. And it's what I've always said, like when Scotty passed the PSA decoy certification, having Scotty it, Ward. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the first time he ever wore a bite suit. Right. Off is, topics
1: just quickly. You know, he broke his, yeah. Oh, geez, he really messed himself up. Yeah. Just for the people who are listening, Scott Ward is a great friend of ours. I think he slipped on his, patio at home and end up breaking his ankle, but, you know, like it's cost him months and months and months off work. He's got pins and rods all through his ankle and everything just from slipping over on some water or doing something, so you know, a little thing. something small and it's cost him big time. So
0: uh, hope you're doing better, mate. Good luck. Yeah. But as I say, when he passed that decoy certification, he's – physically coordinated and fit. Yes. He's not scared of dogs. I think Mm. that's a really important thing. Yep. And he can take instruction. Yep. So that's all you need. Yeah. You can, after that, you can learn anything you need to do. So that was what I wrote. And a lady, and so look, look, I think I want to be careful because I think that we probably uncovered something that sometimes, and what I've noticed a lot lately online, and I've really, online and in real life, IRL, right. Is that sometimes you can identify that, you are doing role play with someone who may have been abused in the past. And in that role play, you are playing the abuser and they are playing the character of standing up to the abuser that they never did in real life. And so for me, whenever I identify that's what I think is going on, Mm. I just try and put an end to it as quick as possible and don't seek any form of resolution because it, there is no healthy resolution in this, right? Is that, If you prove your point, then you are just creating more problems for them, right? And if you then concede and let them sort of steamroll you, it empowers them to do that to more people later and what they're doing is not healthy for them or anybody else. All mm. right. Which is I think what was happening there because there was a lady that said that I was body shaming because I said that to train sport and working dogs, you had to be physically fit. And I pointed out, I was like, I'm not saying you need to look like anything and you don't need a certain- you, you never did. I
1: read it. I remember a conversation happening around that and I went to the thread to read it to see what the fuss was about. And I read it and I not once did you say
0: you have to be this body type or image to be able to be successful. Dude, you talk I'm aware it. that fit comes in many shapes and sizes. You are talking to the fat commando. Hey, <laughs> look, look at people like Big Country in MMA. Yeah. You know, I mean, that guy had like a full
1: great big gut hanging over his shorts. And yet he was able to smash people left, right and center. He didn't have a particular body type that you usually see in most MMA people but he had the right to be in the ring yeah and it's the same thing with people who are out in the field it doesn't matter what if you're tall short if you're pear-shaped or whatever it doesn't matter if you can run the gauntlet and you know take the hits and be able to lift the dogs up and so forth you got a right to be out there and nobody will
0: question that
1: yeah but if you can't breathe if you're running down the field and you fall over and you know that you got a
0: dog pounding after you well that's the point right It's yeah. that You know, to train sport and working dogs, the implication then is that you're going to be doing some work in a bite suit. Yeah. You know, bite suits going to weigh about 20 kilos. Plus then you got a 30 kilo dog off of you. And then you've got the weather to contend with on top of that. Yeah. and And so by fit, I don't mean like, Six pack. No, oh, you although, mean you need to be cardiovascular. Yeah, proven. I mean like physically capable. Yeah, that's all I mean. Is like physically fit. So like fitness. There's two definitions to that. There's fitness as in physically fit, as in you know what's mm. like you're jacked up. Like Instagram model, fit looking, yeah. But I mean, fitness is in suitable. and that's what I meant. You have mm. to be physically suitable, and it's dangerous for you or the dog if you're not. You know, dog training has a physicality to Absolutely. it. Absolutely, right? it does. And I'm not saying that anybody needs to look a particular way, but if you're it. If you're not physically capable of performing the task, it's dangerous for you and, and, it, and it's dangerous for the dog. Like I say, if you, if you can't support your weight, the bite suit and the dog's weight and you fall on the dog, you'll break the fucking dog's neck. And herein
1: lies the little quandary that I have with this whole thing is that the fact that we really had to pick apart this and try and wordplay it to satisfy a character type. I'm kind of over it and I probably find that it's, you know, when we talked about issues related to COVID and so forth, I think this is an issue around COVID in itself is that there are far more bear traps in conversations than there ever was before. Like, it seems to be getting more and more intense that you have to be so careful. The more you rise as a profile in society, the more careful you have to be. Mm. You know, like, there is a certain expectation from the community in what you can do and what you can say. I think at the start of the podcast, we tried to explain to people, we're going to say what we feel like, but we're not going to set out to try and offend people. I'm certain of it that we've never picked on minorities. We're never, we've tried to avoid religion. We've tried to avoid everything else. It just – it really got me. Like I sort of – I read that comment and I thought that is actually so offensive that you got smashed over something where you never tried to indicate in any way, shape, or form that somebody was, you know, because of a body type or anything like that, was unsuitable for a dog sport.
0: Yeah. It, but like I say, I think there was a greater issue at play. Maybe, maybe. But why didn't they
1: contact you personally?
0: Well, that's
1: what I mean. It was, you know, like why say it online? Is that for the applause of everybody else or to to gather a mass or anything like that? Like if it really is so bothersome where, you know, people have said things that I found offensive in conversation before where I send them a personal message or ring them up, you know, and I just say, Hey, just conversation said, and I'll go, Oh no, no, never meant that. It wasn't meant that way. I was going, cool. You know, could you explain you know, just in lay terms, what it, it may have mean so I can get it through my head. And I go, yeah, yeah, it was said like this. Or people have done that with me before where I've said something and I get a, a message, saying, hey, can we chat about this conversation? Sure, no problem. Yeah. And at least I get to have a civilized conversation where we can walk away either agree to disagree or have a better understanding of where we stand with each other based on a civil discussion. I just, I think that's the polite thing to do Yeah. rather than trying to make this a public issue, these public witch hunts. So let, just to finish on that, you know, again, to, to reiterate the book, the madness of crowds, it just so happened. I've been reading that book and this happened, but where do we find that two wrongs make a right? You know, like somebody is accusing you of being wrong yet gets on a public forum to shame you or say something, you know, like, which I found offensive on the other spectrum. But how do we get to the agreeable point that two wrongs can make a right? Like the person felt that was a wrong and then wanted to say something to you publicly rather than privately.
0: How is that right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but like I said, I, I wouldn't read too much into it because I don't think we were dealing with a healthy person. When that kind of thing goes down, I'm usually like, hey, I'm not going to throw any fuel on the fire of your whatever led mm. you to feel that way. I'm not going to throw any fuel on that fire. Yeah. And and I don't like to tell people how they should act and whatever. And in turn, I don't like to be told how to act. Mm. I think that what she didn't go the way she was expecting because she left immediately yeah. was that maybe she thought there was going to be like more people will come on board with this and fuck this guy and blah, blah. And I just didn't go that way. Mm. And so I think then she probably retreated to somewhere where that is the norm. And then that, you know, that behavior gets reinforced and, you know, and grows. Mm. Right. And then there's more of it. You get what you reinforce. Right. So that's why I just think that there's more going on there than, than being upset at me. Like I say, I feel like that's, yeah, if we're going to talk about 2020, it's been a huge year of personal growth for, for me and a lot of people, but I feel like that's one thing that I certainly came to understand is that I think if most people who are going to sort of, no one's the villain in their story, right? Like everybody's just working off of all the inputs that have come to that point. And when people act and when we say, you know, to relate this, not just from our dog training Facebook group, but also in real dog training, Mm. you know, your circumstances lead you to act in a particular way. And so, take this for example, right? Like we've probably all seen this circumstance where you get a dog, an adult dog, and he can't have his collar touched, right? And people say, oh, you know, he's sensitive around the collar or whatever. And it's like, no, someone's fucking cranked that dog by the collar. Mm. And now he assumes you're going to as well. And so you can come at that dog with the purest of intents. You can come at that dog and just think, hey, I'm here to solve your issue, my friend. Like, you know, you've been brought to me to solve Mm the problem. I have my- I am here to help and the dog will bite you for trying to help. Because there's a history there. Because he just is of the assumption because everybody else in the past, and maybe that everybody else is just literally one person, but that is everybody to that dog or to that person in the environment that they're in Mm. has fucking cranked them by the collar. So when you go to pat the dog, he goes, you're trying to crank my fucking collar and bang, he bites you, Right. So as soon as you identify that, whether it's in people or in the dog, it's best not to try and touch the collar again, mm. right? Certainly not for a little while until you develop trust. And I don't, for me personally, I just don't get offended. If that dog tries and bites my collar, bites me because I tried to touch his collar and, you know, I know that that's why he's been led to that, I have to then go, hey, like, it's all cool. I'm not going to come back at you. I'm not going to pin you down and look, I will touch your collar mm. because then we're role playing. We're back to, I'm the person that's doing bad things to you. And the dog goes, I fucking knew this is what was going to happen. Right? Like I knew this is where it was going. And it's the same with people. When people sort of go that way, then we go, when you lean, they go like, fuck you, you called me fat. And I go, well, actually I didn't you fatty. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) right? It's like, well, fuck you. Like that. I knew that's how it was going to go. It becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. We're creating the cycle and just keeps feeding around and around and around. And for me, that's been a huge part of identifying sort of stuff like that this year. And the personal growth thing is where I can just go like, I don't need to be right, right? Like I don't need to have that back and forth. I certainly don't need to have the last word with anybody. So I can just go like, hey, there's obviously more going on to this than than this conversation. Do you think it's a matter of I try and look at it now with
1: rather than trying to be right, i rather be understood. And I feel that that's a better narrative to live by when I'm dealing with people rather than, yeah, rather than having to win, walking away where we're both feeling a bit more comfortable about it. This is why I'm trying to encourage people. Like if you really do – take issue with those type of things, like contact the person personally, you know, yeah. like let's not turn it into an online beat up with each other, because I feel like the the world really did get a little bit narrow minded and, and small minded with some of the, some of the things that people are doing and saying to each other are just beyond bizarre. Yeah. Like it's really, it really is a world transformed. And I don't, sometimes I just don't think for the better.
0: Yeah. And, and I agree with you, but sometimes like, if I have to choose between being right and being understood, I'll I'll take understood over being right. Yeah. But if I have to choose between being kind and being either of those things, I'll take kind because I feel like, you know, sometimes people are not in a position to even understand. They're not in a position to even be able to understand you. Mm. Right. Because they they can't hear what you're saying. It's the same as a dog. Like, you know, to use that exact same analogy on that dog, I can say to the dog, like, Hey, I'm not here to, yeah, you know, so typically then the, the dog's got collar touching issues. People want to try and feed the dog and touch the collar, right? Mm. So that I can say like, understand this. But first I would rather bring that dog to a position where it's not even an issue. And I would like to, I'd prefer to do that to the people as well, where go like, Hey, this isn't even an issue, man. Like, you know, I don't even know you, I can't even remember your name. You're, you're not a real person to me for all i know it could be a fucking fake account like let's just leave it because mm-hmm. i don't think you're in a position you might be motivated to not be in that position or you might be trapped there and there's nothing i can do via this right so i had like one explanatory comment where i was like oh i think you misunderstand me um that's not what i meant and then when she doubled down on that i was like ah oh, there's no coming back from here mm-hmm. right?" like and i even wrote out a whole nother explanation that i then sat there reread and deleted because i was like you know there's no this is just putting fuel on the fire. There's nothing that's good that's going to come of this. So mm. I think, you know, being understood would be really nice, but it's not always possible. People can't understand you from that point of view. And that's the skill that I have developed this year, if we're going to talk about 2020, that's a skill I've developed this year for sure, is being able to really try and understand how'd you get to that point? Like, what happened? Yeah. It, like, what is making you feel that way? And I feel like that's been a big part of my dog training as well, where we say, like, you know, dogs are acting off of you know, there's nature and nurture, there's genetic reasons a dog is acting some ways and sometimes dogs do things and you go like you know, like, a dog chases cars and you go like you don't know why you're doing that, you're yeah. just doing it because it's good and so I am you know, I can I can punish that away because I can just go like, hey, you don't know why you're doing it, but you know you have to, so I can just get rid of that. Mm. But then there's certain behaviors that I look at and I have to think like, whoa, why? How did this come to be? Why do you think that's the right thing to do? And and certainly we see that in dogs. And sometimes punishing that thing is only going to feed back into the cycle. And mm. the dog's going to go, fuck, I knew I was right to do that. Now I'm going to double down. And then you're stuck in this battle with them. Where I'd rather sort of go, hey- How, why do you think that? Why do you think that being aggressive to that dude in this circumstance is the correct behavior? Because he might be, you know, that might be justified in his mind. Mm. Right. And so then I'd rather go like, okay, how do we, how do I show you that that is not only unnecessary, but it's the wrong thing to do. You're going to push away people who would like you, you know, like people can come into your home. We can sit on the couch and we can hug or we can cuddle and I can rub you and we can play games and we can do all these kinds of things. But i got to show you that- Are you talking about a dog now? <laughs> yeah, well, this is where I, <laughs> I was working in a long, long long, joke there. But I can show you that that's my intent and I have to go nice and slow. And if I try and just come back at you for being aggressive to me, I have to let you do that and then mm-hmm. go like, okay, fuck. Now we'll come around from another angle. And it's the same with people. You, you, like just going head to head with them like that, it's just no point. It happened to me- I don't know if it was sometime this year or late last year, but it happened to me
1: where a colleague and I were having a private discussion with each other and then they chose to publicly out me, you know, like they put it on their public page and outed the conversation. I didn't. I don't think I said anything terribly wrong and I stand by what I said, you know. I was having a, a polite conversation with somebody, but they outed me. And to be honest, I was surprised
0: and shocked. Oh, I know what you're
1: talking about. Now. Yeah. I was surprised, shocked and hurt by it because I thought – much more of this person than to do something like that. And to be honest, I was so shocked by it. I just, I was speechless. And I probably spent a whole week, like just shaking my head thinking, what the fuck? But the amazing thing was because I didn't retaliate, so many people contacted me and just said, I saw that and I thought it was absolutely despicable. Yeah. And that speaks leagues of your character for not responding and a lot about them for posting something publicly online without your permission. And I said, thanks. And, Like I was overwhelmed by the support that I got from that. And, again, I'm not saying this now to shame that person because I haven't mentioned their name, but I was surprised at the amount and the calibre of the people that contacted me to say that they would no longer be supporting this person or following them or anything like that and actually found it disgraceful and thought, well, if they could do it to you, they would do it to me as well. And I said, well, that's a strong possibility. And, you know, I just chose – to silently retreat over that one and thought, as you did, obviously there's something going on there, that there's something in the past. And I think you and I spoke about
0: yeah. that when we had a conversation there's about deep, it. deep, issues there, mate, that has nothing to do with you. Yeah,
1: I know. But like I said, I would prefer – and I'm not perfect, and I've made that abundantly clear since the time we've switched on these microphones from the start. I'm not perfect. You know, there's things that I've done which are, are silly, stupid, and absolutely outrageous – but that's who I was back then. As part of what you're talking about, we're on this cycle of evolution, of being a better version of ourselves, hopefully. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to do things that you that aren't regrettable in the future. But the future's unwritten. We just don't know what we're going to do or what we're going to come up against or, you know, how it's going to be perceived in future times. There are things that I've done in the past that I look back at myself and think, fuck, I'd love to kick myself in the ass for doing that. But <laughs> yeah. that, but that's, that's your past. And I really don't know anybody that hasn't done something completely stupid in their past before or something they, – they've said something that's just fundamentally wrong that you really find it regrettable that you said it or acted on it or did what you did. And there are certainly levels within that itself, you know, like levels of being stupid to criminal. But – I mean, I'm not talking about it myself. I'm, talking, I'm generalizing about public. But the thing is is that like dogs, we're respondent to stimuli. Yeah, you know that's it. And that's the thing that sometimes we just think, I, I just don't know why I did it. It was just something that happened in the moment. I really wish I didn't do it, or I wish I didn't say it. But I have found that the older I've gotten and the, comp- the better company that I'm keeping as yourself and Bertie and my wife and you know Dave and Maria and all those type of people, who are good people and they have some say. you you know, you guys have some sage advice and, you know, things that we read and things that we pick up along the way, you do ponder on things a little bit more. You're less likely to have a hair trigger. You're a bit more likely to sit back and think, mm, no, I need to think on this for some time rather than just act on it. Mm. And I think that's, you know, that advice has certainly been given to me. It is, it's even been given to me as a young guy from older people that I was with back then. You know, and they've said, if I had my time again, I'd like to think on things a little bit better rather than have acted on it. And I think that's good advice for anybody is sometimes, you know, when your parents have told you as a little kid, count to 10 before you say something, maybe count beyond that sometimes. Just walk away and think today is probably not the best day to say it to your, your spouse, your siblings, your partner, your business colleagues, people in your social circles and so forth, even your dog this is words of encouragement that we've said to people before. If you're not feeling it, put the dog away. Yeah. Just go your own way for a little bit of period of time.
0: You know, so one of the things I've said from the start and I learned this from Bart is that this idea of like, why does a dog do anything is to better his own situation. Right. And so, Whenever, whatever a dog's doing, we kind of look at their behavior and we go, like, what are you getting out of that, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of always been the formula I put over to, you know, whatever training I'm doing, whether it's sport working dogs, whether it's pet dog, whatever it is, if a dog's doing something and we don't want them to do it, we have to sort of sit back and analyze and go, you don't just do things in a vacuum, right? Like, you're getting something from that. And if I don't want you to do that anymore… I can just stop you finding success in doing that and it will likely stop. And if the, if I can't stop you finding success in it, then I need to give you a reason not to. And there's a couple of ways I can give you a reason not to. I can give you like more success somewhere else and you may stop doing that or I can give you a consequence that you want to avoid for having done that. Mm. And it's so easy when we talk about that in dogs, right? It's really easy. Like the, the, every dog trainer sitting in their car, nodding, going like, yeah, no shit, Pat. Yeah. But then I also say that like, I feel like, Everybody is just, you know, we say, why does a dog do anything to better his own situation? And I've always sort of said, I think people are pretty much the same. I don't necessarily believe in altruism. I think that everything is kind of self serving in a way. And the example I always use is like, I like to think I would take a bullet for my son. I like to think that, you know, God fucking hope I never have to find out. But I know I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't. Mm. So my motives could be the, the avoidance of that guilt, right? It's yeah. not necessarily that I want to do it for him. It's that I wouldn't be able to live. My life would be not be worth living, so I'm avoiding that guilt that would come. Mm. So I say – I also then say dogs are just trying to better their own situation. They typically don't have a nefarious agenda, right? Mm. Like dogs don't get up and go, I'm going to fuck you around today, right? They're just trying to live their life through the path leaf resistance, have a good time, you know, get through whatever they're genetically programmed to do, right? They're just trying to get to the end. They're explorers. They're pioneers of behavior. So I say that about dogs, but then I also say it about people. So, I kind of lost my right during the year when I figured this out to really say that people have nefarious intentions. Now, of course, they, they can, but they're just trying to better their own situation. And some people really try and better their own situation in some peculiar ways. Mm. But they've learned that because they've had success doing it in the past. And we all, like, as trainers and people who really understand behavior, we say, well, like, whatever gets reinforced gets builds more off, right? Like, you get what you pat, right? Like, all those one liners that we throw out what a, yeah there's there's a dozen of them we could quote they apply to people as well and so when people are acting in a peculiar way where they're like trying to fight with you online and you're like hey I'm not reinforcing that I'm not and, and the fight is the reinforcement mm. right a lot of people i think that there's this hardwired this is another. this is a better topic to have jay talk about but i think a lot of people are kind of hardwired to fight but are not in the world where we fight anymore so they can fight online. And so it's like, I'll have this back and forth with you, right? And it's like it gives me the same feelings that I would have if I were winning a real fight because, you know, for some people it's hard to distinguish between in real life and and online, right? It's the same sort of thing. You see, well, that's online you, you can be any identity you want to be. I that's mean, right. You, you know, you can be Superman
1: while you're sitting at home with your guts out and your underpants on. Exactly. It does give you an alter ego,
0: that you don't have to look the person in the eye. So you—that's right. And so that the same biological drive to fight is you're know, able to be expressed through the keyboard. Mm. And it's just like, hey, I'm not going to play that out. Like I'm not doing that with you. And, and like I say, it's not to say that people can't be assholes and do bad things. Of course they do. But there's a set of circumstances that's led them to think that that's, first of all, acceptable, and second, the right thing for them to do, right? They're just Mm. trying to fulfill their needs in one way or another. And that's not to say that I'm, like, saying everybody's good. By fucking no means. Mate, I've seen, like, I've hunted people that throw kids into fire because their family didn't feed them well enough as they were moving through the town. Like, Mm. real evil exists, right? Of course it does. But typically, in your day-to-day with just other dog trainers online, they're just- Being driven by their own successes and failures, other places, and they're just going to keep doing that. And and fighting is self reinforcing. So Mm. that's the moment that shit happens for me. I'm like, it's also relief sometimes yeah, as totally. well like you know it's it lets you blow the steam that you need to blow off but like i said i won't mention who it was but do you remember one time someone we know close to us were kept harping on something at you and you're like hey i'm fucking sick of this and i was like yeah but mate it happened to someone else as well and that conversation you're getting two because they have the trust with you to have that conversation with you so you're getting double because they don't have the relationship with the other person you are doing role play yep. and that conversation is happening with someone else mm. in in that person's mind, yeah. yep. right? And it's like you just got to say, hey, I, I see it, I get it, just play it out if it's healthy and avoid it if it's not. Mm. Geez, <sighs> that took a good turn. It did. <laughs> but those are events that happen throughout the year.
1: I mean, that last one was more recent because it only just happened within the week. Yeah, two days ago. Yeah. And to be honest and to be fair, the traffic on our site is very neutral,
0: you know. We I think do, we've done a good job of keeping it as a supportive network,
1: thanks to our admins as
0: well. Who yeah, are, but but I mean, mostly the people that are in there—they know. Like that's just not—we're not, we're not it's there. It's a neutral to zone. People around. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a neutral zone and supportive. supportive. That's the culture and the, the the temper that we're trying to forge. Is that we want people that to come there and to be able uh, to have a good time to talk about dogs and not take life so seriously. To realize that there is more to life than fighting and bickering and getting involved in bear traps and political espionage with each other, which is nothing that we want. There is so much of that that exists outside the world. We're not trying to create – well, we are a nirvana, I guess, where we can get a rest from that. And to be honest, any type of forum that I've ever been involved on, whether it be – the canine paradigm or the balance symposium or anything like that. Like the rules stipulate, take your shit elsewhere. Yeah. If you're having a bad day, go elsewhere with it. Cause we don't really care for it. We're here to talk about dogs and we're here to talk about funny shit that makes us laugh and ridiculous yeah. memes and, and stuff you like have that. Like robust discussions. Robust discussions are fine. You know, yeah. they're actually healthy. I, I've always been of the opinion and, and I've had this discussion frequently with the owners of this company is I'm not a yes man. Don't come to me if you expect me to be a yes man. I am agreeable under agreeable circumstances, but if I don't think a situation is right, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that it's right. I don't care who you are and I don't care what position you hold. I will tell you the truth. Even at my own peril, I've told people the truth about things like that before. And some people don't like it. They don't appreciate it. Whereas when I explain it to them, I say, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm doing this to help you. You know, and it's been done to me before. Like you have had conversations with me before where, you know, like other people may not have felt comfortable doing that, where you felt comfortable as a friend to come to me and say, hey, I wouldn't do that or I wouldn't say that. And I've appreciated it because you've done that. You know, where other people might think, oh, I'm not comfortable saying that to him. He might take this wrongly. You never know how you're going to take it in the moment. But the thing is, is I don't mind a robust discussion. I don't mind where somebody can give me an education or um, if I'm in the position to give somebody else an education and they we can sit back and think, okay, that's given me something else to think about. Yeah. You know, rather than just be on this one track mind of I have to be right and I have to win. Again, getting back to that point is... Maybe we can learn to understand each other a little bit more and come to a fair compromise where we can understand that maybe there is more to this discussion than we're both aware of. And there's a lot more information outside that we could be prepared to open it up and have better dialogue with each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if this podcast can provide anything to your dog training community, you know, there's a lot of people listening. It would be that, right? That you can just understand there's nuanced conversations can happen in public. People can have back and forth Mm. and it's not a, you don't have to fight over everything and and we can agree to disagree and we can, I acknowledge your points, but here's my points. And then we can still walk away as friends afterwards or you can, you are allowed to change your mind. That's one of the most amazing things. You know, a lot of people don't know you're allowed to change
1: your mind. (laughs) That is a remarkable concept. I think it's a very important one that people really need to take away with is you can be hard-lined about something, but you can change your mind. Yeah, You know, you can think, well, there's there's so much evidence to support the other side of the argument. How could I possibly ignore it? It's kind of ridiculous for me at this point in time where my argument is fading and the other one is simply towering over the top of me with evidence. Yeah. You know, fact. And that's one of the things I love sitting down and talking to Roger Abrantes about of what fact is, Mm. you know, when something is just so undisputable that there is no evidence to support that it's not true anymore. And how can you argue against it?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I love it. And, you know, I've learned so many things from listening to some of the discussions throughout this community. The podcast has given me so many doors. And I guess that's what excites me to go into the future about is who are we going to talk to next and what are we going to learn from them as well? Mm. I think as you go along, you get to sit with people that you normally wouldn't do. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed about being a motorcyclist is I've ridden to parts of New South Wales I would never go to, Mm. never have gone to in a car or would never have had a purpose to go there. But now I've seen places and I've met people and I've sat down at tables with people that I would never have sat with and never talked to ever in my life. And now they're part of a wider community and I've learned things from them. I've learned about writing. I've learned about different parts of New South Wales, things that would never have been accessible for me. And simply because I got to open up a different perspective Mm. and perspective is such a wonderful thing. It's something that, really inspires me to learn from other people and to see how they do things differently or, you know, why aren't I successful in things and you are like, what did you do differently? And could I adapt this into what I know? And is it something that I've never considered before? I love all that. I love the fact that, you know, no matter what age you are or where you are in life,
0: there is still other perspective that you can consider. Yeah. Hey, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Let's wrap up this wrap up. Yeah. One thing I want to say for anybody that's still listening, really appreciate, all the support that we've gotten mm, so much, you know, to, to wrap up, say that not just the year, but the the year of the podcast is that I thought for sure when, you know, say back to what we are saying before about everybody running out of money, I thought that our Patreon was just going to oh, die. Yeah. Um, but people have been really supporting us. In fact, it's grown and that's been amazing. And, S- thank and you.
1: I, I know is, I don't want this to sound just like a, a message on repeat or anything like that, because I don't want people to think, oh, he's just saying thanks because you know, we keep giving and stuff like that. Like
0: it is absolutely from the core of our hearts. I say this every month when mm. I do the the lives, you know, to the people who are watching live, and it's the same few people because most people watch it later because I do it in the day. But to the same people that are there and the people that watch it later, I always find it hard to really say. Like I, I say, thank you, but I, you know, it just seems like oh, it's a throwaway line, right? Yeah. Like I, I really find it hard to convey how much how amazing it is for starters mm. and. Just how much I appreciate the support. I can't convey that really well enough. Well, do you know one of the most valuable things in life is
1: your time? Yeah, totally. It's not your money or anything like that. It's your time. And when people do give their time to you willingly, I guess at one stage in your life, when you're younger, you do take it for granted. Now I don't. You no, know, no, Because way. I realize how waning it actually is and how quickly it goes. So I always... To me, having somebody's time is really important and and it's
0: precious. You know, it's funny when you're a kid and you talk about being bored, like Ripple told me he's bored. And I was like, man, I wish I could be fucking bored. Oh, man. (laughs) To
1: have the time to be (laughs) bored. How amazing. I would kill to
0: be bored. Because I get up at 4 a.m. just to work before he gets up Mm. and then I'm up to whatever fucking time I am working while he's asleep so that I have time to be with him during the day and all the things I'm doing all over the place. I'm like, dude, I would kill to be fucking bored, right? Like- Mm. I would love to be bored. I have no time to. Be well, bored. I work six days a week on
1: average, and and sometimes even seven. And like last night, I got four hours sleep. Like I literally got four hours sleep. You know, and I mean, even the the first thing I did when I woke up this morning is looked at my phone, and my emails were just going bing, 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 and yeah, they were yeah. cascading down in a pile.
0: And I thought, when the fuck would I have time to be bored? Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, what, so. What a, Oh, just on the patreon mm. by the time you guys are hearing this that first episode's probably out and so you know as a big thank you and and what i want to do is you know back to that whole what we spoke about at the start about the digital everybody going online in 2020 and the other day, I think we spoke about this when we were recording the other day, but what's happened now with the sort of outbreak here, like, I had this picture of the Rona being over. Like, I was like, we're, it's just about over. It's, mm. it's all it's all done. Yeah, we controlled it at one stage completely. And I've just sort of realized it's not. It's yeah. not at all. And as a result, I've sort of been all the, you know, the online stuff has been kind of haphazard and, you know, it's good enough. And, and I think the content that I've been putting out in the Patreon has been good content, but- I can do better. And so next year, I really want to do that. And you'll see the content will be changing and evolving over time. And one of the things that was interesting for me in 2020 was when I started dealing in pet dog clients again, right? I took a bunch of clients that were just random referrals from whoever. And it was interesting to me that I had to start convincing people that I knew what I was talking about, right? <laughs> because a lot of what I do here and I realized there's there's no live audience. People can't ask questions. And when they do, when we do, we do lives, it's more technical stuff. And it's not so much like, how did you get to that point? It made me realize there's probably a lot of people that are like, shows the work, right? Like they're not just going to take my word. Like, you know, when you go, when you do like math, a math teacher, yeah. yeah. When you're doing math, it's not good enough to to just go like here's the answer. They want to go, How did you get to that point? Yep. And so what I want to do with the Patreon stuff is instead of it just being like, Here's here's some facts according to me, mm. I want to start showing like this is my thought process on how I got to this. And I wanna I'm gonna do it sort of vlog leading to documentary style because it, you know, it gives me a new hobby and like i just want to put out better content in that way to show the process rather than it just being like this is how i think right it yep. being like hey this is how i came to to think this and and you know when i say something Rest assured that there's been a lot of work going into understanding that. It's not just like me vomiting words on mm. a whim. So that's what we're going to do with the Patreon. And I hope that people enjoy it. If the numbers go down, then I guess that's feedback that it's not. And if the numbers go up, then maybe it is. Hey, well, please- give us feedback on Patreon anyway. Yeah. Like we're sort of driven by what you want as well. Like that's right. there's a
1: lot of times where content goes out. And I mean, Pat does the lion's share of it. And thank you very much, Pat, for doing that. But with that as well, like this is a community project. Yes. Yeah, and right. we really want to be guided by what do you want to see and what you want to know more of. So if you have got thoughts, suggestions or anything you want to share with us, by all means, get in contact with us. It's not a guarantee that we can do it, but if it's something that we've, we're seeing that it's popping up regularly and it's piquing our interest well and we're capable of doing it and providing that for you, by all means, I think that's something that we'll definitely try and
0: get to do more of. And you hit the nail on the head and you say, there's a community project because that's what I want to do is start involving more people mm. in it, right? And showing like the opinions that I put forward in the Patreon and typically not always mine. They're a uh, conglomerate mm. of uh, talking to other people. And I want to show those conversations and yes. have those conversations with people, not live, but record it, edit it in, and put out some cool content on that. Yeah, I so love that's, it. That's the plan for 2021. Mm. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Hopefully, we'll be able to resurrect the other project that we were working on that we haven't had time to do that we spoke about for. A while and-
1: well the weather just hasn't been kind to us it literally this time last year we we're on fire in New South Wales yeah, like right. New South Wales was like literally the head of a match just burning away yeah this year it hasn't stopped raining yeah but what is it called an El Nino weather pattern or El something? Nino yeah El Nino. La Nina. yeah one of them one of them but it's the it's, it's both, the, it's the, we the wet one yeah we've got so El last Nino. year we had the dry one which was on fire this year it's constantly rained like yeah. it rained through Christmas it's going to be in New Year's it's going to rain through that like it's I was driving from one of my job sites to another job site today and I was thinking how miserable is this? It's the middle of summer and it's just constantly raining and it's 10 degrees cooler than what it should be.
0: So that project was outside. I'd rather be wet than on fire. Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right. What else you got? Anything to wrap it up?
1: That's it for me. It's just a thank you very much guys for your, your patronage, your support, your love, your feedback. Like Pat said before, it's very hard to convey in words, the feeling that you get from being a part of this wonderful community and the acceptance and just everything that you guys have given back to us. It is so much heartfelt appreciation and I just wish you all the very best. And I hope that we can continue to provide even better content as we go forward. Like I said, if there's anything that you'd like to hear on the show, let us know. Mm. Any guests that you'd like to, us to interview, we are always open to that as well. Yeah. Some of them we can't guarantee that they'll come on, but there's definitely people we'd love to speak to. You know what you should do
0: is tell us you want them on and tell them.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. If there's somebody that you want on the show that we don't know, maybe set the stage. Tell us first about them and why you'd like them to be on the show. And if we agree that it's going to be a good conversation and we don't know them, maybe help us get in contact with them. You know, I like Professor Robert. Sp- Bobby Sapolsky. Bobby. If anyone if Uncle anyone Bobby. knows Uncle
0: Bobby personally, Uncle just Bobby, yeah. Let him know. We really want to talk to yep.
1: him. Joe Rogan, yeah. We're <laughs> happy to speak to him as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Now yeah. that he accepts Skype calls, let's yeah. do it. All right. I'm wrapping it up before it gets ridiculous. For sure. Yep. That's it for the final episode of 2020 of the Canine Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. And as Matt said when he was on the show, be specific. Mm. Say exactly what it is you like. And if you don't like it, just keep it to your fucking self. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, don't talk about it online in the forum, for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to support the show, like we just harped on about Patreon's a way to do that, right? So the bulk of the content goes into that three bucks a month tier, but then there's lives and extra stuff and all kinds of things that we trickle into those higher tiers. So if you want to mm. get involved in that, I know that, you know, like we look at the stats on that, and I know some people, like we said, this is what chokes us up. Some people are there just for the content. You see, if the content's one minute late, people are like, fuck you, I'm out of here. Mm. But other people don't even watch it. We There's people who never even log in beyond actually contributing their money. So it's amazing. We appreciate it so much. Mm. You can give whatever you want. Another cool way to support the show is to get yourself a wall tapestry from Teespring. I can just see an abundance of wall tapestries yeah. across the US and A. And if anybody actually has one of those, please send us a Yeah, I'd love to we'll see what it looks group. like on your wall.
1: Yep. I think uh, I, I actually think Tracy Mammon got one. Did she? I think Tracy Mammon has
0: got one. We can probably look in the back end of the Teespring and see who's actually ordered yeah. one. Can we? Yeah, we can. Can we see the specifics or just that one uh, has been we, ordered? We can see one's been ordered. Right. I don't think it says who
1: ordered it, but right. yeah, I'm pretty sure she told me she got one and it's a big ass tapestry. Wonderful. Amazing. Yeah.
0: And if you want to get in contact with us, if you want dog training advice and stuff like that, that please just put a post in the group group source that information mm. but if it's something specific uh, get in contact with you know whoever you want to speak to but if it's both of us we are info at the dot that's it happy new year happy new year everyone